Welcome to the Woke STEM Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, the Woke STEM Teacher, and today I have two guests on my show. Um, we'll start with someone who's been on the show before. Kelly, can you introduce yourself? Hey guys, my name is Kelly Stanley, uh, aka in the classroom, Miss Stanley. Um, I am second time here on the Woke STEM Teacher Podcast, so I'm excited to be back and talking about um, things in education. And um, I don't know about introducing myself anymore. I'm a teacher. I'm a diverse learner teacher of middle school students who um, the majority of my students have severe emotional behavior disorders uh, along with intellectual disorders. All right, thanks, Kelly. Um, and then we also have a newcomer here. We have my friend, good friend, Chris. Chris, can you take a second to introduce yourself? Uh, yes, uh, my name's Chris, Chris Huff. Um, I am a Southside Chicago native. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> From an interesting place with like Auburn, Gresham meets Roseland meets kind of Washington Heights kind of area. And uh, education is one of the issues I very uh, care about the most. Um, and I think it's one of the uh, most in, in, important things we can use uh, to generate change uh, in the world. So, yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm glad to have both of you on the podcast today. Um, we got so much, so much to talk about, so much to get into. So let's just dive right in. I want to start by shouting out um, a group of teachers at a school in Ohio, Meigs Intermediate School. Um, one teacher at the school in particular, her name is Shelby Leatherman. She's a special needs teacher. So, you know, Kelly, that's right up your alley. Um, she's a special needs teacher. And last week, I think it was last week, she um, made a Thanksgiving meal for her students. So like a full course Thanksgiving meal for her uh, classroom. And I know earlier this year, or no, a few years back, um, this teacher in particular, she responded to her student having enough food to eat at home by creating a food drawer in her classroom. The students could pretty much get food from to take home without even having to ask. So the drawer was like stocked with um, pretty much foods that they could take home and heat up. And um, she kind of got other teachers involved in the process of it. Mm -hmm. um, are paying for this food out of pocket. I don't know about you, Kelly, but I've done something similar to this. I wouldn't say I've done a food drawer, but I have, like, I'll bring snacks into the classroom. I don't know how similar it is, but I'll bring snacks into the classroom for students who don't, who come to school and they're, like, hungry in the morning, they haven't eaten breakfast, or, you know, I've, I've given my lunch to students before who couldn't afford to pay for lunch, like, that kind of thing. I don't know. Do you have, like, a similar experience? I do actually, um, there's a few things that I do um, because of the area that I work in. We are a Title I funded school, so we do um, give the students free breakfast and lunch and also after school snacks. But in addition to that, you know that some of those students that that's really the, the majority of whatever they're gonna eat, that's what they're getting from the school. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times we have some of the students in the morning, they'll want to throw away the fruit. So I actually have a basket on my desk 
where we save the fruit and um, we save like the things you don't want from your breakfast. We put it on in all in this basket and every single day, 100% of the time, the basket is completely emptied out and gone from students that come through and just take off of it, eat throughout the day, snack on it, whatever. I do have um, another uh, drawer. It's not for food. Um, mm -hmm. It is for things like deodorant and soap. Yes. And um, <laughs> like fresh socks and those sort of things. And there's a couple of students that, that I know they don't, no one's buying these things for them. And it's absolutely necessary, especially if we have to sit together all day long together. It is absolutely necessary. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes gotta, you, you do what you have to do, you know? Exactly. I think they appreciate it. It's sort of on the down low. So if you want to take from it, you know, it's kind of like a, a sidebar conversation. It's nothing that you're not shouted out for anything like that. But, you know, hey, can I get this? You got something you know, lotions, all of these type of things that they come to school and it's like there's a, an apparent need for them to have it. And yeah, we provide it as teachers. Yeah. And I think it's it's a good thing because food insecurity is, I mean, people don't, I, I don't know how many people actually think about this, but food insecurity is a big issue with, especially with when you are a teacher and you're teaching in schools that are in, you know, certain communities. Yeah. Um, that are underfunded. Um, I know with this particular district, so this um, school district in Ohio, one in four children in the region are are food insecure, and that's oh. I mean, <laughs> it's a ridiculous. That seems ridiculously high to me. One in four children. So I'm thinking about like my class of if I have a class of twenty students, right? Yeah. The number of children, what five? Yeah. That's a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> it's more than it's way more than it, it ever needs to be. That number needs to be zero. Like that should not be something that um, children have to be concerned with, you know. Mm -hmm. But shout out to this school. They doing it. Um, and I and I know there are so many other teachers probably doing the same things like us. You know, you're talking about what you've done in terms of food activism in your own classroom. I know there are other teachers out here doing the same thing. Shout out to all of y'all. All right. So I think we're going to go into um, our teacher advice, teacher stories. So I have uh, people write in and send um, stories and questions about anything that's education related, if they need advice on something. So I have three different stories um, and I'll just get into it. So I'm going to read them out and then we can kind of chop it up. Okay. Okay. So this says, this is my first year teaching. I'm a middle school science teacher. At the beginning of the school year, I was super excited to get started. I put so much time and energy into creating the perfect classroom lessons and activities for my students throughout the year. We aren't even halfway through the year and I'm already overwhelmed. I know teaching is no easy profession, but I thought my love for teaching would overshadow most issues that I've had. It seems like I'm thrown so many curveballs from the helicopter parents to the absent parents to administrators requiring perfection and to student behavioral problems. 
Is there any advice you would give to first year teachers wanting to be done? I really want to throw in the towel. And this is um, signed first year science teacher. Mm. <laughs> mm, is right. <laughs> I remember that struggle. <laughs> I remember that struggle. And I remember not having any kind of support in my first year. We are the champions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this really this one really hits home to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because like in a weird way, I feel like I do teaching and community organizing, just not in the ways that I originally thought I was planned to do. Because mm-hmm. going into college, like I created like an individually planned major and kind of had my whole four years mapped out what courses I was going to take and all that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, and the whole purpose was to be like a teacher and a community organizer and use my education as a tool to prepare me to do that. And one of, and the thing was when I was 18 years old, I couldn't imagine, like the only thing I could imagine the teacher being was like in the classroom. Like the only image that could come to mind was like mm-hmm. in the classroom in front of the desk you know, with 25, 40 students, you know what I mean, rolled out in rows. And now 10 years later, I'm working in higher education at a college institution, working with students and kind of in my role, I create these uh, program experiences that that educate the students on different social justice issues in the city. Mm-hmm. So we identified a topic. It essentially, each program has its own curriculum, its speakers, its issues, its discussion format, etc. And this, 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 this idea of throwing in a towel in this first year is like, it's kind of in in a way. I've been doing this for a long time, but this is my first time doing. This is like my first full year doing this. And at moments, it's been like. You felt the same way? I felt the exact same <laughs> way. Like, look, I'm done. I'm throwing in a towel. I can't take it no more. This is ridiculous. And to me, what what helps me is thinking, remembering the process. It's like a long-term process. Like, it's, it's not the change. The work that needs to be done isn't going to happen overnight. And... Mm-hmm. That's why I got to like pace myself and give myself like kind of this kind of time or this period to soak up because really the, 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 the first year at any new organization or any new institution, you, you're like learning the culture, like you're developing yeah. these new relationships, you're developing. So you're identifying who are allies and who are not. So the whole first year in the first place just has its own adjustment period to it outside of just the teaching part and the teaching phase and I would just say just keep like remember like it's remember the big picture who you're doing it for and the folks that you're doing it for need not just you know these like instructional changes in terms of like good teachers but they also need these kind of larger institutional structural changes so the kind of you you just got to know you do you you kind of got to work twice as hard and just you know at the the end of the day and that's the biggest struggle I, i have with my students and them like they they feel like that's unfair you know what i mean and creates added stress so why do i have to do all this but it's just like I think, yeah. I think um, you kind of hit on a 
really important thing is like remembering why you chose to be a teacher and who you are there for. Because I'm gonna be honest, I am not a first year teacher. I'm a fifth year teacher. And I have had days this school year alone where I have been ready to throw in the towel. So it's not it's not something that only first year teachers experience, you know? Like they're I mean we get the same helicopter parents, absent parents, administrators requiring X, Y, Z, you know, behavioral problems. We deal with the same things. You just get better as time goes on, you know. And I think, I think the misconception for a lot of first year teachers is they're just going to jump right into the classroom and just get right to it, you know. Like everything is going to be perfect, and everything is going to go. Like they're going to be able to use all the strategies that they learned in college immediately in their classroom. <laughs> Theory and practice. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Theory and practice. There has to be some connection and a lot of times there isn't, especially in this field. Um, because, and this is why I like being a teacher. This is part of why I like being a teacher because every day that I walk into that school, I don't know what to expect. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know routinely, okay, the, I'm going to have this class at this time. I'm going to have this class at this time. But, you know, children are so, and I work with teenagers, high schoolers, are so unpredictable. You know, every day is different. Every day is different. And it's exciting. You know, I well, I think it's exciting. I don't know how you feel about it, Ke- Kelly. <laughs> uh, but it just... It's exciting. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just said every day is something different. I completely agree with you. That's actually something I do enjoy about teaching is that when you walk in the door, you always have your plan. And then like, it's like God has his plan. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it is so much more fun to embrace God's plan and use yours as a backup (laughs) (laughs) all right okay but um if i were i i really like a lot of what you said chris because um mm-hmm. it's really you're right it's this isn't just about teaching it's about stepping into the first year whatever your passion is because mm-hmm. now i feel as though too many people are looking for a career um, or just a paycheck, and if that's why you go into education, you will not survive. You you do not become a teacher because of your paycheck, um, because you will quickly see that that paycheck doesn't go as far as you thought it went. And you also don't go in it because you feel as though you you're a good presenter, because modern right now it's not about the actually in the classroom. The less the teacher talks, the more the students learn. And so it's no longer about me standing in front of you being able to dictate or give you a tour guide of your education, right? I'm Mm -hmm. not a tour guide. I'm a facilitator. I'm somebody who needs to help you to embrace whatever it is you're supposed to learn and get you there. And that doesn't mean that I do all the work. So I think a lot of times new teachers need to really embrace the fact that you are not there to do all the work for them. They're really kind of, I remember being first year and I felt that was my job, that I had to do all of the work for everybody. And the more that I grew as a teacher, the, I realized that the more work they did, the less I did and the more learning actually happened. Um, 
but being burned out is because you've taken on too much of of what you should you know be shouldn't be worried about and you internalized it and in terms of the parents administration i mean it just be real now we have these high risk um uh, evaluations we have high stakes testing tied to our jobs it's not really that fun when you start thinking about all of those logistical things about teaching that will wrap you up it will make you want to throw in the towel i think at any year um so the advice is that's what we're supposed to be doing right giving her mm -hmm. advice the advice mm -hmm. i would say is that if you don't love it then leave it Right. And 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 don't let the system taint your love either. Exactly. At the, at the at the at the at the same time. It's like like to me, when I was comparing my education experience in the Chicago public schools to the Marietta City Schools in Marietta, Georgia, it was just like two completely different experiences. And the a totally complete experience. Part of it was structural, like the design of the building and new books and all of that stuff. Yeah, that was there. But to me, at the end of the day, what transformed the experience was the teachers. Yeah. And the teachers had access to opportunities and resources that I didn't know existed. And they served as connectors to those resources in a way that the, the teachers in the Chicago public schools, they just didn't have the access. Yeah. They, they, they didn't have the connections. Mm -hmm. So, and, and so the, 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 the experience. So in, in, you know, instead of landing a internship at Jones Day at a law firm or landing an internship at a, you know, at a, at a law school, cause you're interested in law school in CPS, you know, I'm, you know, I'm standing outside at the local park district. You know what I'm saying? Like hanging out because I don't have those connection points. And that's uh, information of education. Now we need to have more opportunities for children instead of, like I said, a lot of people think I get up here and it's about my delivery. It's about my pedagogy. It's about my, how well I can give you an exit ticket. The I do, we do, you do process. I really feel that we're moving away from them. Like it should be an experience. Kids should be experiencing the classroom, not just sitting mm. in there doing a tour. And with that said to me, and then I'll conclude with this, is to me, because when I hear what she's saying, like I, Kelly, you pointed it out, the, the where is it? Parents and mm. the helicopter parents and the after parents. To me, that's, that's like one group. That's like one system right there. Mm -hmm. Then another administration. That's a whole nother system right there. Uh, then the student behavioral problems. That's to me in response to those two other systems. Right. You know what I mean? Right. The family system and the school system. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And their behavior, those behavior problems are reactions to what they're learning and what they're experiencing in those systems. Exactly. So, 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 so to me, it's like almost like teachers have this like quasi role of like they got is it's like almost like activism especially when you're in these like low income low under resourced areas it's like you're almost like you got to have this like entrepreneurial energy or spirit or dare i say activism yeah. to even be to, to even because you gotta like to, to to me so my advice would be like be get connected with the good like 
whoever the parenting systems are who organize the parents or the boards like begin to like plug into the experts in those areas like the 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 folks in administration who has ability to control the policies lord you know one of the things that's helpful to cps is the union itself and being able to advocate for certain things because of their size and just to me it's like identify those 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 like turn those individual kind of analysis into a, a kind of more meso more macro analysis in the sense of like okay how can i better improve like the parenting the parent engagement you know what yeah. i mean how can i how can i improve you know what i mean the help improve or reform our current school system or administrative structure you know what I mean? And and how can I then begin to tack away so you don't feel as though and 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 I and I say it in the sense of I say it in the in, in the sense of it's it's not like you gotta commit all this time to it. I think up front identifying those sources, yeah, but once those sources are identified, it's just a matter of plugging in on a regular basis to chip in at them. Right. Um, whether it be like a parent count a parent council meeting or whatever you guys do it in like the kind of you know k-12 through system yeah well i in higher ed i don't really have to deal with parents that much it's, it's more like, it's, just, it's, more like young, it's like young people with so much you know haven't experienced the worry yet now they're ready to explore type thing right but i digress yeah and i think if we the bottom line it is about relationships in your first year, the hardest part is that you have not taken time to build relationships. Mm -hmm. That time, building trust with people takes time. Building trust with administration, building trust with parents, building trust with students, all of those relationships. The, the stronger you can form a relationship with the people that you're surrounded with every day, the better you will feel about your work environment. So that first year is hard because those relationships are not built. And you have to take the time, the energy, you know, and, and, and go the extra mile to build those relationships. And I think that crosses over not just into teaching, but into any field that is your first year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Y'all gave, y'all gave her a mouthful. Woo. Oh, <laughs> good, solid advice. So hopefully, hopefully that helps. I mean, I think, um, I know Kelly, you mentioned, um, I guess I'm thinking more about like teacher support from administration. And I know it's difficult in your first year, and I've been in this position, not first as a first year teacher, but like my first year at a new school where yeah. I felt like administration was not giving me the support that I needed. So I think it's also on the part of like administrators to create an environment to create a system where teachers actually feel like they're supported and actually feel like they can have they have mentors or someone in the school that they can access you know what i mean because because it's hard to build those relationships at the beginning of the year but the schools where i have worked where i feel like i've thrived the most have been schools where i felt like i was getting all of the support that i needed yeah Administrative support is powerful. Ooh. A good administrator will take all 100% of the blame of everything that happens in the building and will also just make sure that the team is constantly glorified. You mm -hmm. don't always have those good administrators like that. 
when you yeah. have an administrator always breathing down your back, making you feel as though everything you are doing is wrong, you will have teachers teaching like everything is wrong Absolutely. and never having that uh, efficacy in the classroom, which is important. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move to the next one. Okay, so this one is a little bit uh, different course of action. Um, so it says a few years back, one of my friends helped me get a job as a teacher's aide at a middle school. I decided to also go back to school for a teaching certification in the same year I received the job as a teacher's aide. Fast forward to the following school year and the school where I am a teacher's aide offers me a full-time teaching position once I finish my certification. I'm super excited about it, but my friend, however, is not. She has been trying to obtain a full-time teaching position at the same school for quite some time now. She has had a few certification issues that have kept her from getting a job, even though there have been vacancies that needed to be filled. This wouldn't be so bad, but it seems like she has taken out her frustrations on me. It seems she is upset because I got a full-time position, full-time teaching position before her, even though she originally got me the job. How do I confront her properly about her jealousy? Do I even confront her at all? What would you do? And this is, um, I named this one potentially backstabbing friend. (laughs) Even though I don't think this is a situation that would be considered backstabbing. Um, My reasoning for that would be the fact that it's always interesting to me when, um, you know, you kind of get your friend a job or you recommend your friend for a job. Um, I think that's just the foot in the door. So the friends, you still have to do the work to actually obtain the position. Um, where the jealousy comes in, it's, I don't know. I don't know how I would confront this person. I, I, I think I would have to sit down and like discuss with them like these This is something that I have wanted to do. You helped me to get to this position, but you did not do all the work or put in any of the work that I had to put in. I decided to go back to school to get my teaching certification. I decided to apply for a full-time job. I got that position. And it wasn't off of the back of you per se, you know. Um, Yeah. What would you do? I, I mean... Uh, well, I say that a jealous close friend is worse than a friendly enemy. Oh, yes. Um, I don't think true friendship holds any jealousy. At all. So if if that exists, if that is existing in this situation, Mm -hmm. then girl, bye, go get your job. I'm sorry because you need (laughs) <laughs> you ain't about to turn down no money for nobody, okay? Come on. Who's feeding their family, right? You know? Like- <laughs> this is not even like ill-gotten gains. Like this is something that is, you know, that can be transformative. You know, teaching is a transformative career. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, that no. one, that's just straightforward. Cut a loose. Straightforward. No, see, I, I, uh, okay. I, do think, I do think the confrontation needs to happen. I don't think that that like it should be cut or loose without saying anything. I think it should it should be brought up and be, it should be discussed. 
Right, because to me, the key word here is seems. Mm-hmm. She, he say, but it seems like she is taking out her frustrations on me, which is to me how he's experienced, he or she is experiencing the experience. Mm-hmm. And without a kind of proper conversation and kind of dialogue, is really no way to really understand her emotions. Maybe she's just exploding, period, or just sad or angry, period. And she happens to be, he, he or she happens to be the closest person there. And it's like, it's like to me, so to me, the confrontation would be centered around her sitting down or him sitting down with their friend and telling them like how they're experiencing the event to give them the opportunity to respond effectively Um, and kind of detail and do it in a way where you focus on the feelings rather than the reaction like because it it, it seems like he's kind of sad or upset or disappointed or whatever and i think i think communicating that to the friend in a way of like this is how like it's kind of making me feel like you know etc etc and you know is there any you know i just so i would just like to understand like where you're coming from mm-hmm. what's you know what i mean what's what's causing your reaction to me getting this job because i want to make sure i'm not i'm not reading the situation wrong that's fair i think i think that's a fair way to go about it and then from there determine okay if this person is upset with me if, if they're being direct and saying that, yes, this is why I've been acting this way towards you, you can kind of determine which direction you need to go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the communication part. That communication needs to happen. But she did mention that the friend um, was trying to get a job but had issues with her certification. And it didn't say that she had been trying to resolve those issues. It just said that she had been, you know, the reason that was holding her back from getting the position was the issues with her certification. Coming from an administrative point of view, I can't hire you or pursue you (laughs) if you're not qualified. Yeah. No, and it seemed as though this person the one who was being offered the job, it's like, hey, as soon as you show me your certification, we're good to go. You know, um, if the other person had also shored up her certification, she may also be in line, you know, for a position as well. That part kind of is, you know, left up to the... Unclear, yeah. Not clear. Um, but the the part that that struck me was it said that she was saying uh, she's taking her frustrations, right? Or seems, Chris, you said seems, right? Yeah. It says seems in the, in the letter. It says it's, it, uh, it seems like she's taking out her frustrations on me. It seems she is upset because I got a full time teaching position before her. So, I mean, I do agree with you on Chris that the communication needs to take place. But if she were to discover her friend is jealous, yeah. then then I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Move on. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, 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 now I agree. With, I definitely agree with that part. I was just, I just 
to me, words are important mm-hmm. and, and they can, because to me, the seams, and he said it like two times and like, mm-hmm. right. Band, it's like, it's to me oh. denotes some sort of either a confusion or not totally understanding. Like there's the, there, there, there's some gap that needs clarity. Um, or else, to me, it will be more definite. Like she's taking it out on me. Da 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 da. Right. She's doing X Y Z. She's done this, taking this out on me. Yeah, it would be clear. I think I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. All right. We got one last letter. Um, this says, "Hey, woke STEM teacher. Love listening to the show and the variety of topics you discuss. I wanted to get some quick advice about one of my coworkers." During my class period, there is a particular student that has started to skip my class to spend time in another teacher's classroom. The excuse is always that this child is completing a test or quiz or making up work. The student usually arrives to my class within the last 10 minutes of class time. This has been an ongoing issue for only a week, for only about a week now, and I have expressed to the teacher that this student needs to stop missing my class. I don't want to continue to nag the teacher, but I also need this student coming to my class so they don't get further behind. What do I do? In this one, I signed it part-time teacher. That's Mm -hmm. what I gave (laughs) to keep these people anonymous. (laughs) Part-time. You know, Angela, this one, I would be so angry. I'd love it. would try my best to make sure I professionally address this because this one might get me out of my comfort zone. (laughs) Yes, yes, because, you know, it's my time with this student. How dare you, you know, extend your time with a particular student? And then as if you were trying to tell me consistently that my class was unimportant or Mm -hmm. irrelevant to be even worse, irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the message that this teacher is sending is that my class is relevant and yours is irrelevant. Therefore, I will take your time too. Right. Um, and this to me, if she said, did you say she talked to the other teacher? Yeah, it says, I have expressed to the teacher that this student needs to stop missing my class. I don't want to continue to nag the teacher. Oh yeah. So at this point I would I would write a letter to administration about it professionally. Yeah. Um, you know that would be that, too. because she's first of all, the letter has to to, to CYA for the teacher. Um mm-hmm. you're gonna have to cover what's the, what's the CYA? What'd you say? What's the CYA? Uh, uh cover your um your Oh ass, okay. <laughs> I thought I thought it was like an official like grievance form or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, you can call it that. <laughs> you can say it on on the podcast, you know. Yeah, you girl, you can. <laughs> I'll just mark this as explicit content. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, as a teacher, if if that were happening to me, I would immediately cover my own ass. I would just make sure that everybody involved knew at this point because I've done my part coming to you uh, personally. So if I come to another teacher on any issue personally and we resolve the issue, it doesn't need to reach administration. But if it doesn't get resolved, it absolutely needs to go to administration because it could be being used to make a bigger issue. 
I also I want to I want to interject just real quick and say that it needs to be documented too. Like I I because you could be in this situation where you said that you have talked to this teacher and told them like this student needs to get to my class. And if you've spoken with them verbally, they could just go back and say, well, you never told me this. So I always like to keep a paper trail as well. You know, what I would do is after we had a verbal conversation, I would send a nice email. It was so nice chatting with about such and such student. I'm so glad we both agree, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that, uh, such and such student, you know, should be on time to my class and will no longer send a professional clap back. Okay, it's a professional (laughs) clap back. And then end it with like, I'm glad to have a team, you know, member on my team, just like you. Right. (laughs) You know, got to have those receipts and say, we had this exchange about the week before and this student is still coming to my class late, um, you know, within the last 10 minutes of class time. I mean, the disrespect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And to add to each one of those emails, today such and such came again late to my classroom. You know, they stated they came directly from your room, did not use the bathroom for 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the issues we have, because I've had something similar to this happen to me. Um, yeah, I have. Um, in teaching high school, you know, teachers, they keep students, but, but it was more so like, um, the student just didn't want to leave the other class and they were really cool with the teacher. You know, you build rapport, you build good relationships with the students. Well, this student in particular just did not want to leave the other teacher's classroom and was staying there just to chill. And the teacher would say, oh, they're taking, you know, they're finishing up a test or they're finishing up a quiz. And I knew it wasn't the same thing every single day. Like you ain't testing, quizzing these kids every single day. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -mm. Nope. So I did actually have something like this happen to me, but the outcome is not what you would expect. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll be brief on it. I had a student came to my class 20 minutes late every single day. And I mm-hmm. said, excuse me, why are you late again? And he kept telling me that he was staying late in the other teacher, right? The mm-hmm. other teacher's class. And so I finally addressed it with the other teacher. And the other teacher says, what are you talking about? I release him the same time I release everybody else. So I started oh, observing. Yes, he was lying. Mm-hmm. So he was taking, and the and how he outed himself is because when he came in the last time my classroom, this boy was dripping with sweat. And I said, "Excuse me, where have you really been? In the bathroom?" And I said, "In the bathroom every day. You go to the bathroom before you come to my class for twenty minutes." And then he said, "Yep." And I said, "And you are dripping with sweat." That must have been a real hard bowel movement. And then, <laughs> uh-uh. so, oh, my teacher assistant, who is male, thank God I have a male teacher assistant this year. I said, man, you got to go have a talk with him. Lo and behold, every day, this child is in the bathroom masturbating. <gasps> what? And, oh, that was not what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> Maybe, maybe Chris was prepared for that. I know I was not. 
<laughs> hey, it's 2018, man. Shit is real out here. Right? <laughs> I'm like, man, you got to stop this. Otherwise, I'm going to be sitting in a room with your mom, the principal, and me. And we're all going to be talking about what you do in the bathroom. No. The next day and the next week were horrible for the student. He came in so aggravated, so stressed out. I've never seen this student like he would ball up his fist. And I say, hey, could you take out your paper? And he said, like, this. I was oh. like And so how about the counselor tells me, maybe you should write it in his IEP that he needs a bathroom break. For <laughs> Oh, just for that? Because it seems like he's frustrated. Lord, we need to let this baby use the bathroom. He can't focus on yeah. his education. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole other conversation. Okay, it is. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, from a, from, a, from a neural side, from a biological standpoint, like it, it, it's a reality to, to the deed. That's that Maslow's hierarchy, honestly. I mean, there are certain things that you need in order to be productive, right? At the bottom of that is, at the bottom of that hierarchy is food, and then the next level, you know, sexual desire or whatever is somewhere on that triangle, (laughs) and (laughs) A... And, 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 and but but even but I, I think I think that's one angle. I think another angle is is this idea of like coping strategies and coping and dealing with stress and anxiety. Oh, true. And 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 there's and seeing it more as a kind of form of maladaptive behavior of, of kind of texting this this child has kind of learned to calm his nerves and hasn't learn more uh socially acceptable behavior like meditation yoga exercise you know other things that can probably help further reduce whatever tension that's building up with him that's causing him to feel as though he needs to release these chemicals these endorphins in order to kind of get this that that moment of 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 relief Um, it's a big difference and and like I really like I know we're a trauma informed you know uh, trauma care informed show today so I actually do have a concern for this child that this behavior is stemming from some sort of trauma and that you know us prohibiting him from the need right you know mm-hmm. the need is actually more detrimental to his to yeah. him education right and how do you start a healing process from there? Well, let's take a break first and then okay. answer Kelly's question. You know, <laughs> how can we start the healing process from there from there, not just for this student that you're referring to, but for students who are in similar situations? Um, all right, so let's take a break. It's pretty common for teachers to bring home papers to grade from work. I know I sometimes bring home stacks of papers to sit down and get some grading done. The teacher tote bag that I use to carry all of my things to and from school is from myteacherish.com. They offer tote bags, mugs, and even tumblers for that early morning coffee you may need to get energized for your day. Visit www.myteacherish.com. Teacherish.com during this gift giving season. 
Show yourself or your teacher friends some love. Visit www.myteacherish.com. All right, we're back. And um, so Kelly's question, and I just forgot it that quickly. <laughs> Kelly, can you reiterate re, um, your question? I really think the main question, if we're looking at the student in question that I, I sort of popped in here. Mm -hmm. um, um, and it's in likeness to a lot of the students that have been through a traumatic experience in their life is how do we recognize things um, that will help them heal from this trauma as opposed to telling them that their response to trauma is mean is bad or incorrect or wrong which actually elevates the stress of the trauma okay okay so okay so then let's let's bring this to chris because i know chris has some thoughts on trauma-informed care and just like that the way to navigate that and kind of shifting shifting our um, the way that we view trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so well look first can you can you tell in case people don't know what is trauma informed care? So so to me, the best way I can like simplify trauma-informed care would be this idea of being conscious or wanting to be this idea of wanting to be conscious of the negative experiences that shaped and impacted somebody's development. And as a result of kind of having a understanding of that kind of of those negative experiences you kind of approach and have a stronger sense of empathy and like care that you kind of have in working with individuals dealing with those experiences and this idea of of trauma-informed to me and kelly please correct me if i'm if i'm wrong but this idea of of you know to me, the, the article really pointed it out is, is it kind of is this idea of like the, the glass half full is this is this idea of acknowledging these negative traumatic experiences and how they shape the human being. To me, I think as the article points out, the negative side to trauma informed care is this interpretation that that's end up all you focus on. And that becomes the identity of the, the negative experience becomes the dominant ultimately becomes the dominant kind of characterization of the identity of the person. Right. Um, it's that deficit mindset. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and so so to me, trauma-informed care in its best representation is this idea of allowing, understanding trauma as a real psychological having a real psychological emotional mm -hmm. and to a certain extent biological component right that that impacts the person's development and your knowledge and recognition of that changes the way you engage with and work with that individual fundamentally changes dynamic mm 
Right. Um, and that to me is what trauma-informed care is, like if I simplify mm-hmm. And I know trauma-informed care is used in so many like youth development programs. It's, it's um, um, popular in schools. I know, uh, Kelly, you sent me a website that kind of, I'm guessing it was trauma-informed care as a positive behavioral support. So I know it's used to kind of address disruptive behaviors from students in the classroom. Um, What do you all think are some limitations to that? To to allowing trauma-informed care to be in the schools, in these youth programs, in juvenile justice departments, you know? I believe it has to have a specific place. A lot of this is very new to teachers incorporating this into the classroom. But um, I think we we need to give children a space. And the, the problem is, is there's not really a space built in the day for them to have, but they need one in order to be able to um, flesh out the trauma. And then also to really be able to articulate it, understand it and label it. A lot of times I think that the trauma is that um, children are experiencing that they, let me rephrase it, the trauma they experience in, the, in an early age can also be the trigger for a learning disability, right? Mm-hmm. So now that was the trigger for a learning disability and now you have no way or you have no vocabulary to articulate what's really happening internally with you because no one has taken time to walk you through the situation or walk you through the whole rainbow of emotions that you might be feeling based on the traumatic event. Or some children don't even realize what they went through was indeed a traumatic event, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things affecting a child and affecting a child's ability to learn in the classroom. But you have these teachers that have really no training, no background. They have no information. Sometimes we don't even have the information that a child has experienced trauma. And all you're trying to do is, you know, deliver your lesson and make sure that they understand how to conjugate a verb. Um, And at the bottom line, like the trauma might be the very thing that's actually stopping them from being able to engage in the lesson. So, um, Ooh. so um, essentially you're saying we are focusing, um, this is what I'm getting now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that we're focusing too much on the trauma itself. And I think this goes back to what Chris was kind of alluding to this whole uh, and this is what I said, this deficit mindset. So this deficit-based thinking. You know, in education, we try to frame things in a more positive way so that they, so that it's not deficit-based thinking. So instead of telling students not to hit, don't hit one another in classroom, it's respect each other's space. So kind of like framing things in a positive light. Exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, Person- then there's the issue of resilience. Uh I think that uh, far too many times we have told kids, ah, just get over it. You know, we expect them to have this high resilience level. And and instead of um, 
you know, instead of really dealing with the issue at hand or instead of allowing the child to process anything, we're just expecting them to get over it. You know, if you don't anything, get over it. Move it sounds on. like it sounds like what um, I hear new age teachers calling grit, like that that idea of grit. <laughs> And, 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 and to me, man, I got so much to say on this, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I'm just going to follow my heart. Um, is To me, is yes, building on this kind of, to me, trauma is such a pervasive part of our society that has become normalized. Mm-hmm. To the extent that that so many folks have just learned to cope with yeah. the violence, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, the abuse, yeah, you know what I mean, the 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 all of those things have are are embedded infrastructure are embedded into the infrastructure of our society from the get go. Like, and to me, that's the part of the trauma conversation that I believe is so misunderstood is because we, we're living on this like individualistic kind of model of thinking, which is kind of to me rooted in this kind of self-reliance and independence, like looking at it as like this individual's issue mm-hmm. when it's really a societal. Yeah. Yeah. Structural, systemic issue at every level. I agree. You know what I mean? And, and you know, like, to me, so much of the trauma conversation is dominated by, like, interpersonal violence. And, like, responses from, like, traumatic event. I feel like the most popular, like, trauma term is, like, PTSD right. um, is like the most popular and it's usually in response to these like traumatic, like extreme big T type traumas. Um, and the reality is there's also trauma that like to me, that's the micro level. That's like the individual family level. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what gets the most attention. Okay. But to me, there's other primary systems of operation in which we're receiving violence or these negative experiences from. Exactly. Even mm-hmm. even the, the trauma, like that larger systems of trauma, like self-hate, embedding self-hate into, you know, media and images and pictures over in time. That's traumatic for people to go through. Exactly. And to me, what... As a result of that, it's like we have to like really start talking about fundamentally what does the redesign of our entire social system look like? Right. Because to because to me that's what's creating the dysfunction. Like to me, structural violence is the result of uh, institutional organization having enough resources to provide the needs of all of its citizens or all of its people, right. but because of the way it's structured and organized. The resources aren't properly allocated and which ends up having detrimental effects on people's health, mm. which has detrimental effects on people's like housing situations, mm-hmm. income situations, mm-hmm. educational circumstances. And that's all like just the basic function of just participating in our society. Right. Yeah. 
and, and don't add like colorism oh, and the racism yeah. <laughs> and, and all the other isms to it that's embedded into the social organization of our society, yeah. which to me creates its own trauma. And we learn to live in a in a traumatized state. And we thrive off of it. That's why to me the alcohol, the drug use, the is such a rampant part of our society. Like, because like people forget, and then I'm a di- then I'm a digress. Like people forget America was an experiment from the beginning. Like when they wrote the Constitution, they wasn't finished. That's why they had the Federalist Papers. Mm. Like it, it, it was, it was, a, it hadn't been a, demo, a, a democratic system organized the way this was like, almost like in modern history. Yeah. Right? And, and so the social effects of that system, it wasn't like they had evidence-based practices and research. No. You know what I mean? They was going off like theories and philosophers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To organize our system. Like the theory of specialization, Adam Smith, that's how we got this specialized structure. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, because they, they adopted his 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 thought of or his kind of his economic approach. Yeah. You're taking it back, man. And so 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 to me, that's the that's the macro level. Mm-hmm stuff that I feel like we're all dealing with to a certain extent and depending on your identity is going to determine the level of oppression or I, I E I think a psychologist might call it stress or anxiety Mm -hmm. that you might experience to me, the stress and anxiety is a direct result of the oppression of this, of the structure. Agree. But I digress. No, that's a, that's a great point. So then what do you all think is needed in terms of like how we can transform what trauma informed care looks like so that it is not continuously perpetuating this, um, I guess this idea of like an individual, that it's an individualized experience versus this collective experience or that, you know, we're not addressing the actual root causes of trauma well honestly like i had i had what i feel like i was thinking earlier before chris spoke mm-hmm. i feel like it's a band-aid like you just totally blew my mind with everything you just said chris i just was like dang this is so much larger than trying to just deal with somebody's hurt and pain individually even like group collectively and and the systems that have been in place to put put traumatic events in place um it's large so where would you begin so 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 for me like, I, I don't know. I tend to break things down in steps and in the phases. That's just how my mind processes information. <laughs> like, 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 even that's why I was hesitant to participate in like the last response to the student because I had such complex emotions on the topic mm-hmm. of, of the student leaving the classroom and going to the other teacher's classroom. One, because I feel like our entire educational system is like archaic as fuck. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and it's like it's like built on this like manufacturing industrial lies mm-hmm. kind of 
system when yeah. there's like kind of mass 40 students in one room, one mm -hmm. teacher, like this mass produce, which doesn't allow for the kind of freedom and mobility nope. to kind of like really learn and explore. So when I was thinking about the kid wanted to go to the other teacher's classroom and like study more because he was a little behind in our class and only had been a week. So she was right. I feel like you guys were absolutely right in a sense that the right move like as the system is designed as structured oh you take you go straight to fucking administration that's that that's out of place because they at the end of the day she fucking up your numbers right you know what i mean like you know what i mean your students gotta score high in this model in this system so she can play around all day so like i get it so i'm like yeah so i'm not even gonna but go there fundamentally that has to change right Exactly. To me, that fun that our entire organizational system and how we think about yeah. education has, has, to, has to. And, and, and how we, because to me, education is about a self actualization process, mm -hmm. about enhancing the process of sexual uh, uh, self actualization. I think you brought up Maslow earlier. Mm -hmm. To me, at the top of that pyramid, once you have all of those needs, what's at the top of that pyramid? Yeah. Self self actualization. Yeah. Is it, it is that like 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 that's the highest form of human development of human growth of the the ability for humans to adapt to changes? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To me, that's what separates us from other species. So to bring it back, kind of full circle in terms of what do we do? First, we have to move away from this like dominant narrative of trauma having to be this like isolated or traumatic or extreme event. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by moving away from that, I think we then have to focus on what this of kind of broadening our definition or broadening our understanding of what trauma is and how it impacts us. And I'm gonna give you a primary example. This had this, this is like real life. Happened in one of my cohort programs this past summer in my internship program, social justice based. And we had uh, I brought in a guest speaker to talk about trauma, like what it is, how it impacts development over time, and you know what I mean what the like what's some of the steps you can begin to do to start healing. Just in, and I'm thinking that's just about to be a simple conversation. I got these white students, Asian students, you know, I got one black student in the room, most of them from, you know, somewhere from either lower middle class to upper middle class backgrounds, or even maybe affluent. And I'm like, it's just trauma. It's just going to be educational. When I say I start seeing as my girl Shantae start doing her presentation and going through trauma and breaking down trauma, what it is, blah, 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 blah. When I tell you the tears that started to flow in the room mm -hmm. in a way that was triggering mm -hmm. the students mm -hmm. and their own personal experience because they hadn't even realized they had experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking, one girl got up, left. I had to go out, chase after her. Like, was it like she's breaking down in tears. She was like, you know, I'm like, let me get you some water, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Trying to crisis situation, kind of was able to manage that, kind of let her go on a walk. 
You know what I mean? Blah, 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 blah. Went back. It's like two, three other students down in tears. I'm like, oh my God, it's just, we're just talking about trauma. Like how did the, I, I just could not foresee it happening. And what that to me illuminates is this reality that once people's like start really understanding that what trauma like really is and being able to like identify it, that there has to be, we have to go through this process. I don't want to say desensitizing it or destigmatizing it, but to me, it, it's kind of stigmatized when it is, when, when, when the narrative is, when the dominant narrative is you had to be in warfare or battle or gun violence in order to experience it, then people feel like they can't relate to mm -hmm. it. When, it, when all actuality, if in, if you live in this society, if you live in this world for that matter, it's impossible not to be traumatized to a certain extent. Especially living in America, look at like gun violence in our country, like versus everywhere else in the world. Like we see more mass shootings, more killings on a yearly basis than any country, than any place in the world. And that's just a part of our society, like death and violence. Somebody now walking into a club and shooting everybody up or standing outside of a Las Vegas motel aiming into a crowd is just a part of our society now. Or shooting to the, to the point where, to the point where news, starts, news, you know, it's not even reported widely anymore. You know, like there have been school shootings that have occurred that haven't made national news. You know, it's it's swept under the rug now. It's it's normal. It's normalized. Mm -hmm. And that's why we got to normalize. So to me, what what happens is you have to normalize. The healing process mm -hmm. and i think we, we we're, we're starting to get to that point to me trauma-informed care was a necessary step like if you read that medium article and they break down the history like this it's been growing and developing over time the field like i think it started with this idea of like youth development and that becoming a big turn right. and then next thing you know that's some years later then it was trauma-informed care now you have this guy this doctor coming along talking about promoting this idea of, you know, uh, healing centered engagement, yes. you know, it like, like to me that, 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 that shows the growth and the development of us as a species, understanding the problems in our world. Mm -hmm. And now, now is, is, it's incumbent upon us to take that information and disseminate it and share it in a way in which folks one know what it is and actually two can actively participate in the process and make it cool. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to move in that direction. I swear, like, yoga is becoming much more popular. Meditation. Meditation is becoming much more acceptable. as a, and, and to me, that's, that's the beginning. Like, once you start normalizing those practices, even something as simple as, like, artwork. Yes. You know what I mean? And, like, because people don't understand, like, from a rap standpoint, from a from you know you can call it poetry you can call it art you can call it music you can call it rap you can call it hip-hop but that's been like a healing space for us since like forever and we've kind of commercialized that kind of process of that experience but to me to me that's what unfortunately and this is where my university of chicago comes out <laughs> and i i just i just i feel some type of ways about it but I agree with it to a certain extent. So that problem, I have to deal with myself. Um, 
which is this idea if it's going to be successful in America, it has to be commercialized first. Well, I mean, you ain't telling no lies. <laughs> it has, so, so, so there has somebody has to create a model, a system that's profitable. Yeah. That enhances that 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 is centered on this like healing experience and shows that it's like is is it can make profits and it's sustainable mm -hmm. period like to me that's where that's where we got to go and to me that innovation doesn't come from the governmental sector that innovation comes from the 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 the, the private sector and to me that's where i feel like all those sectors have to work together because right now to me the brunt of the responsibility is being held on the nonprofit. Right. Yep. And to a large extent, like as you experiencing it in the classroom, the government sector mm -hmm. and the prof in the for-profit sector is just like looking and waving. Like, you know, good they count luck. They money. <laughs> right. They count they bills. Uh -huh. and, and, and they're the engine of the whole experience. Right. They're driving the whole and driving this culture of trauma or uh, this culture and this this idea that Look, we can commercialize these things. It's they're saying trauma is profitable. So mm -hmm. fuck you. What you say? I said it's as if they're saying trauma is profitable. So fuck healing. Fuck. Oh shit! Slavery. Come on now, that it's embedded into our culture. It's, it is it, it, and, and to me, that's where most of the tension lies. Mm -hmm. Because because to me, there's a way to do it. There's definitely a way to do it. Because when you when you think about the ways we heal or can heal which is to me the most important part of the entire experience of what the Medium article talked about to me mm -hmm. um, is, and let me make sure I, I remember it correctly, but it was this idea of like healing centered care involves culture, yes, it's a culture. spirituality, mm -hmm. civic action, mm -hmm collective healing like all those everything that i'm talking about is is what to me healing centered care is healer centered engagement is at the end of the day i'm just adding a structural kind of systemic lens to mm -hmm. it and kind of breaking it down into different levels at the macro meso and micro levels yeah mm -hmm. and, and so so when I think about like the things that facilitate the healing process, like for example, it said like it's like political rather than clinical, yeah. right? To me, that's a very important distinction because to me, if you really understand like what I'm saying as far as my like analysis on this collective trauma from a macro standpoint, it's like that the 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 a big part of this like trauma if you will is is related to our our like kind of how do i say this um uh it's kind of related to this 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 our 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 
the development of our identity, like our culture within this country, mm-hmm. um, and a lack of connection to, or uh, or a lack of relationship with, kind of self at the end of the day, mm-hmm. because because to me that's what the trauma disrupts the most. It is it, it, it just once it kind of disrupts the 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 ability to process information because it kind of disrupts your ability you, you don't start processing information normally that also influences like how like you kind of grow over time so there has to be this sort of there has to be this cultural component mm-hmm. but i digress because i feel like i'm just going <laughs> you're not though I, I do i um I like that you touched on the political rather than clinical aspect of it. Just in terms of, I think it becomes so easy to talk, 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 and talk about trauma. But if you're not addressing the root causes, like I can sit in a room all day with a group of students and we can talk about the experience, traumatic experiences we've had. But if we're doing nothing to address those root causes, be that through policies that need to change, opportunities that need to be offered to youth, then why even discuss trauma? You know what I mean? There has to be that healing center, like you said, component of it that's culturally grounded and, I don't know, kind of gives our youth, and I'm speaking about youth in particular because that's my focus, but we can say people in general, kind of gives us, self-actualization meaning mm-hmm. because because to me that's the heart of the human experience mm-hmm. is it's it, it to to me because the second piece is like being culturally grounded and views healing as this restoration of identity mm-hmm. now i admit uh, my beliefs and this ideology or at least what uh, this outlook that i'm sharing in this conversation i admit there's a bias to it mm-hmm. is it because is 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 the the outlook is seen is created through the lens of an african-american yep. male yep. <laughs> in america yeah you know what i mean from the south side of chicago mm-hmm. you know what i mean and is is so is 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 it's kind of rooted in understanding from my vantage points the this 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 kind of social caste system that has been created within our society that i know for a fact produces trauma, period. Um, And I feel like at the end of the day, as a black male, to me, what creates the most tension or anxiety at the end of the day is this sort of lack of clearly cohesive like identity or culture mm-hmm. as it relates to like a black man in America. Mm-hmm. There's like 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 you know what I mean? What's the what's the what's the traditional guard, you know what I mean, of 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 a black boy coming and growing into a black man? What's the what's the what's the the ritual or tradition or the or the rites of passage for a black boy going into a black mm-hmm. man i'll wait so oh, okay no but no but are you are you are you saying this and and when you're asking this question are you saying this to suggest that there should be one way or 
because I always think about the fact that like black people are not a monolithic group, right? And we're not all the same. So we're not all going to experience things. I'm not saying like nothing that we experience is, is, is the same, but one black man's growth or one black boy's growth into becoming a black man, does it have to be the same experience as another black boy's growth into becoming a black man? Does, the, does that have to look like the same thing between two different black boys from two different walks of life? So, <laughs> my response is that. I, 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 I feel like W.E.B. Du Bois talked about it better, articulated it better than I ever could have. And I think he wrote this in like 1904, like 1890s. I think he was, I think the book was called The Souls of Black mm-hmm. Folks. And, and he talked about the I, the idea of of black folks developing what he called the double consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. There's 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 this sort of cognitive dissonance as it relates to the formation of that their identity in the United right. States. Living in this kind of creating this sort of double kind of on one end wanting to promote these ideals, these ideas of equality and 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 freedom and all these things. And then on the other hand, experiencing the complete opposite, mm-hmm. thereby negatively impacting their development over time. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, that's even... To a certain extent, that's to to me that he wrote that post slavery yeah. times. You know, what I mean, purge. Like I think it was that was probably the era of Jim Crow. By the time he came through, mm-hmm. don't quote me on that. <laughs> but oh, I'm recording. But anyway, and so I bring W. E. B. Du Bois up to highlight this this idea of double consciousness. To me, could I see that as its own kind of develop one is on like how it impacts our development the developmental process of black people in america Mm -hmm. one and two as this relates to this idea of like collective identity and collective formation to me that's the biggest part that's missing that hasn't been acknowledged from this society or this was the stripping of our culture and our identities of us uh, then replacing it with something completely different with beyond our will. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, so then we kind of get released into society and there's no, every time we try to build a collective unit, whether it been the folks in Nebraska or the folks down in Georgia, where, wherever is, is like, it's always been met with like terror and pain and violence mm-hmm. And, and disruption, which to me creates its own traumatic experience. That's how it relates to this idea of trauma. And to me, how it also, it's so, so when you talk about this idea of what's the solutions to trauma, when you talk about this culturally grounded views and this like political rather than, to me, the key part of the whole thing is this restoration of identity. Mm-hmm. And to me, this restoration identity is related to in relation to the people that you identify with. And for some reason, I feel like we've adopted this particular term, whether you call it, I think at one point it was Negro, then it was black, and then African American. Man, 
I feel like the inability for us to even describe ourselves as a collective group to me illustrates the dysfunction that was created by the system that has to be addressed. And to me, that has to be in order to solve that problem, there has to be some sort of collective identity yeah. to it. Like there, yeah. there, there has to be a reowning, a reestablishment, a re kind of, uh, 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 a reestablishment or a, a, I don't even know the word to use, a, 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 a total taking back control of the narrative and the identity of the black person in America and black people in America. And we can't do that if we don't like that can't happen in isolation like that has to be a collective yeah. effort like that has that's to be uh, that, you yeah, see what I'm saying true. and that's what I mean by the traditions and customs because they're those to me those are what's gonna have to be created in order to even facilitate the process of like new traditions and new customs are gonna have to be created in order to even facilitate the process of being able to create that collective identity and I think I agree a lot of what, what you're saying. But Chris, I think it actually goes a little bit deeper because I think part of when you really look at what's happened with our world today, there's so many people that have crossed cultural boundaries. And... Um, really have just married people together. Children have been created. And now there's no more distinctions of just like specifically the category that I would fall into as a person. And so I feel like when we as a human race decide that we want to just start boxing each other into a category and labels. Um, and, and though I do understand the cultural significance of everything that you're talking about. Um, and, and the identity factor that's behind it. But I think sometimes we really actually need to really think about too, when we create those identities, who or whom are you leaving out of those identities and where then are you creating a new space for more problems to develop? Yes. I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and, and that's something I've had to wrestle with for a long time. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that I ended up at the University of Chicago, though. I think uh, mm -hmm. a, a representation of this kind of meritocracy that we live yeah. in. Um, it's this, it's this, I hear you. I hear you. And I'm very sensitive to that. And that to me is what really drives my impetus behind broadening the definition of, of broadening people's understanding and connection to what trauma mm -hmm. is. Uh, because to me, that's what connects us all yeah. is because, because to me, no matter because to, to me, it's like a totem pole or, a or a, a ruler or whatever you want to call it. It's like, it's like there's levels to it. Like it's, it's like, it's like systematic oppression is like real, well organized and like structure, but that doesn't mean, you know what I mean? But so, so to me, the danger I feel like you're talking about is like what we see when it's like, who suffered the most? Is it black men or black women? Or is it 
white women or who benefited the most from say like something like affirmative action? Is it black people? Or is it white women? You know what I mean? And then what was supposed to be like a, a positive recognition and you know support ends up becoming a driver for division. Right. Um. At least that's what I'm getting from what you're saying, and and and, and I recognize that. But to me, the language is there. Um, the language is there. And to me, it's not that groupings are wrong. It's just, it's, it's, it's just about, we just got to be careful with, with, with how we're framing the groupings. Because mm -hmm. to me, human beings are by nature tribal human beings, are by, are by nature tribal. So we form in groups by nature. Um, so the fact that we form in the groups, I don't think is, is, is unnatural. Um, I think how we treat certain groups because of their integration into a particular group becomes the problem. And so the, so the challenge becomes how do we create a framework that everybody can buy into or relate to that they feel like they're all part of the same group. And to me, this is where I feel like it gets political because to me, you, you kind of saw that, that language kind of come out in the presidential election. I think Bernie Sanders kind of took it the most. He's like, he framed his entire campaign, his entire message, national effort around. It's like 1% versus the 99% and this kind of growth and gap income inequality yeah. and how the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Yeah. And that message resonated in pockets of like Ohio and Michigan and Tennessee and you know what I mean? Some of these other places that, that traditionally, you know, don't get those like don't get those type of votes right or are like battleground states because of the conservative history of those right. states mm -hmm. and so so i feel like the language is there like because to me it, it it really is highlighted in a part of the conversation when we talked about when i when i when i kind of brought up like cap like the process having to be commercialized because to me, the, the, the big elephant in a room when we talk about any type of change in America or any type of change in this world is the, is the, is the, is the, like, you got to fund it. You got to finance mm -hmm. it. And, and to me, where I'm going with that is this idea of it has to be, I think you're right. And that's why I feel like the biggest issue that we can like coalesce around that I've seen could be effective is like this idea of income inequality um, and, and how we're losing these distinctions between like middle class and upper class and lower class and how that's totally disappearing with the cost of living and all of this stuff and the taxes being taken out of our checks to fund everything that's going on. To me, that's the that's the issue. Um, you think that'll be the thing that binds us collectively. This idea of income, like like you referencing Bernie Sanders, kind of bringing people together collectively with this idea of the ninety nine percent versus the one percenters. Right. That will be the ultimate thing that will give us that collective experience, that collect that communal kind of feeling. 
Um, or do you think it has to be something else? I think I don't think it's gonna be one singular thing. I think it's gonna be a combination okay. of things. Um, because because to me, Bernie Sanders yeah. lost. Yeah. Donald Trump won. So they say. And Donald Trump had a totally different tactic and strategy. You know what I mean? He he actually focused on the social shit. Mm -hmm. And he focused on like race and immigration and really tapped into the fears and the angers of folks, which allow folks to kind of coalesce and kind of organize and come together. It just wasn't the folks on our team. Right. It was that he he was able to spark, ignite, and he didn't use the ninety one versus the 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 ninety nine point. He didn't use the income. It, like he kind of used income inequality, but racially charged. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 that organizes and it ignites people in our culture in a way, and always has been. Because to me, and, and and can benefit come from that? Yes. You know what I mean? That, and, and that to me is where it gets confusing. I remember I, I had this conversation while back in a board meeting. It got kind of contentious. It was like, it kind of goes back to this like philosophy of like, you know, I brought up W.E.B. Du Bois, but the other big philosopher and leader at the time was Booker T. Washington, mm-hmm. who had a totally different approach. We could be as together as the hand, but as separate as the fingertips. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 oh. And to me, honestly, when you look at segregation and like Jim Crow, our communities were much more integrated as far as like black communities, for example, partially because we had to. It was like it was a survival mechanism. Like we needed to know the neighbor next door because we needed, you know what I mean, to be able, you know, to build. We needed to know the doctors in the neighborhood because we wasn't getting services from the larger society. So we had to depend on each other and each other's expertise within the community, which which kind of had it, you know, in a, I, it, it troubles me to say this, but when you look at it over the arc of history, you know what I mean? Are we, are we better off 50 years now than we were, you know, in 1968 before, or in 1965 before the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act? When you look at our community's income level, housing, property, ownership, you know what I mean? Like the real economic assets, you know what I mean? Maybe we took off in terms of educational attainment. But as far as like assets, property, income, I mean, you know what I mean? Mm, it, it, it's, it's debatable. And the, 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 the data basically placed us either at or below where we were 50 years ago as a community. So I, I feel like I brought that up because it kind of gets to this, like, I think it kind of gets to this question of, of, to me, two things. One, this idea of like really Kelly's point around this idea of like who we are excluding, because to me it has to be in as inclusive as possible. But I think the reality is some people will be excluded, um, and that's just one of the functions of society. The the to me the 
the key to the 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 exclusion piece is like how we facilitate the process for them to re to re-engage or re-enter the community. But uh, yeah, I don't know how else to say that. I think well, that's... I have a question. So, in just listening to everything, um, maybe I would like to know, like, okay, so as a as a, a white teacher, right, with biracial children, and predominantly a hundred percent of the students that I have in front of me every day are black, and What I would like to know is that how do you take all of this and the topic that we've been focusing on, the trauma, right? And mm-hmm. as because I love Angela, the woke STEM teacher's uh, most recent post on T-shirts that I've seen where she said teaching is political, right? We're, we are mm-hmm. mind shapers. And so yes. what would you then have to say about the people who are in the classrooms, in the trenches, shaping the youth of tomorrow so that we can start somewhere in gaining some ground to recover. And, 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 and there has to be a part for everyone in that. I mean, everyone has to have a place and a piece and a part if healing is going to come from anything. I, I, you, you, you really came with it with that last question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're not playing no games. All right. All right. Turn up. Um, so now let me preface this by saying my opinion is not the dominant opinion. No, but you, 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 that de- your opinion is important and valid. And it, it comes from the soul of, of the culmination of experiences that you've had since birth. And it speaks to a lot of what other people have gone through. Exactly. So with that said, my response to that question would be as follows. I believe there's a place for every single human being in the movement. Mm. White, black, Hispanic, gay, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Even, even, even the motherfuckers on the other end of the spectrum, like the Donald Trumps of the world, the, 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 because they're representing this sort of, they're, they're the, in a way, they're like the, the old guard, if you will. So to me, in order to really fundamentally transform this country is no possible way in which one singular group of individuals can overcome the system as structured without doing it cross-culturally, cross-racially, cross-economically, because literally the system is designed to operate at the very least by majority. Like the, 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 I think, you know, some call it, and then they add all these little twicks and pulls to it. But at the end of the day, if you could sum it up, like you need a majority, like you, 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 you need a, 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 a large fraction of the population 
to side with you and your views. And as a result of that, there's no collective systemic change that can happen without white women, biracial people, participate, being able to engage in the social change process, whether that be in the classroom or being a football coach or being, you know what I mean, or, or being a tutor or being whatever. You know, whatever it is, a policymaker, a lawyer, a doctor, et cetera. We like every we need all hands on deck. Period. And that's my belief. And so 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 I don't know if that answers your question, I'll but I'll tell you the approach that I've really taken to this because being in, in the classroom every day, it is on my mind. Know, what am I shaping? What am I? I mean, it's a question that I feel like any good teacher constantly revisits. And am I wrong, Angela? No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I would imagine you you visit that more as a white teacher within a space where all of your students are. Um, and and I make a point to open my classroom up for discussion, like. If my students say, and I did have another student, he said, if if I had a white girlfriend and we went to a little dirt concert, she had to wait outside, man. She not coming in ruining my shit. And I'm like, okay, so because she's white, you gonna leave her outside? She can't listen to that. She said, and to everything gonna throw everybody off, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just, it's is 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 so interesting you bring that up. That's why I felt like I'm like you came with it with that question because what you're talking about is the same thing I experienced with my students, my white students, because my whole job is helping connect them to different neighborhoods and understand different issues and ways they can address them. Right. So, so they always wonder about their positionality in a place like Inglewood or North Lawndale right. or or et cetera, et cetera, and being you know these white you know, students from the University of Chicago entering the community and and how they're supposed to in engage and interact. Right. So and it go go I was ahead. just gonna say in, in the classroom I just really my biggest proactive point is to always remain mindful, like mindful and aware of my own thoughts. And also open and mindful, aware to their thoughts, and that really embracing that there is no wrong thought at this point, because every thought is then predicated upon another thought, and also built upon another experience, and everything that you think right now is built upon the experiences that you've had up until this point in your life, but you're not done yet your shaping isn't over. And so you still have room to even change the thoughts that you think right now. Yeah. And so it, it, it think is in my position as a teacher is to just make sure that the students know that the kids in front of me know, no matter how your experiences have shaped you up until this point, that you're not wrong for thinking the way you think, but you, I, I, I always push them to continue the thought process to constantly question your questions and question the things that you've been taught taught. So I always say, okay, so where did you learn this? How did you learn it? Was it from an experience? You know, did someone else have another experience that's the opposite of this experience and how, and what are your thoughts on this? So it's just opening it to the 
when you have a solid thought or an opinion about something, that that opinion could very easily be changed based on one experience. Yes. And I think a follow-up to that is like several things came to mind as you were talking and as I was thinking through the question. Because that's a really important and powerful question, which to me highlights how big of a role race really plays in our society and how it not just impacts people of color, but people, but white people too. And, and maybe not all white people, because we know, you know, um, but at least mm-hmm. some of them. Right. And, and I think they're big. And one of the biggest challenges is how how do you begin to not generalize in a way that you know um, buckets. You know, basically, would do do what they did to us directly back to them. Become become the mm-hmm. oppressors in the in the other way, the other way around. Um, and not necessarily stopping the process, but just continuing it in a different form. And I feel like, so with that in mind, I feel like as a, here's my honest like reaction after having like probably two minutes at this point to process it, is like as a white woman in a classroom, I feel like there's a, and this is, could be possibly controversial, but whatever. I feel like there's 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 a a deeper sense of need to really be able to display and show empathy mm-hmm. and compassion because to me that's to me the 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 white supremacist the white kind of structure of our system kind of produces this 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 sort of inherent expectation that that white people or are these like inherently evil or like human beings you know what I mean who don't care type thing Um, yeah go ahead I do want to say so I see what you are getting at but would the same not be said for um, black women who are teachers, right? We typically within the educational field are seen as the strong teachers, the ones who are mean. I think the empathetic role needs to be displayed by teachers in general. I think that that like bad guy and I'll say this, this is this is based on my experience and then the experiences I've heard from other black women who teach. I've had teachers send me students because they can't deal with the behavioral issues that those students has have. So like students Mm -hmm. that are not my students that I don't know that I don't teach, they will send them to me to discipline them. So I think I think that empathetic piece needs to be on both ends. I don't think that it's necessarily just for white teachers in the classroom, if that makes sense. 
And I'm just, and that's just me coming from this perspective where I've had white teachers like, okay, you know how to be this mean disciplinarian, but it's not even that I'm mean. I'm not mean to the students. You know what I mean? But I'm seen as being mean just because I'm realistic and I will keep it straight up with the students. I'm honest. I'm straightforward. And I don't know, they respond well to it, whatever. But that idea of empathy, I think, can be something that we all kind of need to embrace more. Yes, (laughs) yes, 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 on two points. One is the article Mm -hmm. talks about it being like empathy. It's like a whole section Mm -hmm. on it. Um, Because it's the centerpiece to the a way in which you help yes. heal trauma. Because you got to understand to a certain extent, trauma is really induced, kind of creates this fear. Whether the 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 whether subconsciously or consciously or whatever it is, this to me it kind of culminates in a way in which it's just like this 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 sort of it can culminate. Some of the senses can be like. You know, um, recalling the, you know, events of the past and they're just being so emotionally intense. So I guess the one, the empathy piece, yes, crucial, I think is is centered. I think has to be embedded. Everybody has to do it. Um, Black women included, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, I think my vantage point was coming from my experiences kind of navigating the system, like coming from like my Mm -hmm. background. And it was like, like the, like the, I think my first grade teacher was white. I remember her, Miss Artwall. And then after that, the next white woman or white person I had a relationship was my lawyer. And to me, then the, the rest of those relationships primarily became through my teachers and my professors. And those were how I developed. And it was a kind of uh, display of like this kind of inherent, like it to me, like the common trait among them, even to a certain extent, my supervisors. It's this, this it's like this, 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 this trait of like deep sense of empathy or this like inherent sense of like empathy and compassion, or at least to a certain extent rooted in like an understanding of the pro of the experience. And that's what allowed me to begin to reduce my own prejudices against people from coming where I came from. That had this certain characterization of like white people and white women and this, that, and the third. And the images wasn't, like, good. Like, it was, like, the enemy type shit. And so going into these, like, white institutions and having these, like, white teachers and all these, like, different white people, that's why I brought up, like, having, like, that part of the identity is, like, there, there's, like, certain stereotypes Mm -hmm. and assumptions that's made about that particular group. And I think it's important for students of color and particularly to have positive experiences with white people yeah 
And I think those experiences with white people should be rooted in white people being able to display a sense of empathy and compassion for the folks that they working with. You see what I'm saying? And that's kind of where that comment was kind of rooted in. Um, not that, not to say that like black women do this or don't do this is as much as it was like, like when I think about like when she framed the question, like as like as a white one, you know, with biracial kids, like in a classroom and like the first thing that jumped out to me was the race piece. Uh, then I kind of built my response around the, around the racial component. But I digress. You know what? We can go on forever. We can go on forever talking about. I, I just feel like there's so much, so much more to this that we haven't even touched. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we, we almost at two hours, y'all. We got. I know. Uh, but then you know that just gives us the opportunity to record more episodes in the future kind of hitting on some of the things that we didn't get to delve into deeply um Mm -hmm. but i want to thank y'all for coming on to the show i i really enjoyed this um the discussions that we've had from you know talking about food activism to the teachers who needed the advice and then the trauma-informed care shifting to healing centered um healing centered care i guess is that how it's labeled in the article um but uh do you all have anything that you want to add to close out kelly well i just i'm really thankful that uh, chris you were able to be on this because i just love talking with you i love (laughs) listening to you i love you Mm -hmm. so much i just so every time we always get off on these uh conversations it just reminds me of um how much i enjoy you and i'm thankful for that i just wanted to say that of course angela i'm thankful for you too um and i'm thankful for the many conversations that we've had but i i think uh this has been really really we did go off on a couple of tangents but those tangents are really if you think about it, that's my fault they, i'm sorry always brought us back to where but it really all ties together <laughs> it's like it all ties together and it's all so relevant mm-hmm. um and i mean you can't just think of one isolated thing and you can't just put the band-aid like you really made me think wow we're dealing with freaking band-aids when we need to be like stopping the flood and <laughs> yeah um so i'm just thankful i'm really thankful for both of you guys oh thank you thank you um man, I don't know how to <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm tired. Oh, no, I'm over here blushing. I don't know what to do. Lord help anything me. you okay. want to say? You want people to follow you on social media? Like anything you know? You add? Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm not a big social media person, man. I'm I'm kind of too long winded <laughs> for Twitter. And, well, you got um, 280 characters and, now. It's so a little bit more. <laughs> 
So, so the, and, and the only thing I use Facebook for is like to post music and stuff. But if like people want to like contact me, like follow up, uh, they can send me an email at like my kind of full name, Christopher D Huff at gmail.com, C H R I S T O P H E R D as in dog, H U F F. Um, any big and- projects or anything major coming up soon? Yes, we are actually launching a new campaign to support and build the social justice work that we've been doing on the campus at the University of Chicago. Um, And we are building on our uh, internship program. We're integrating our internship program with our pre-orientation program. And it is going to be phenomenal. And so if people want more information about that, they can just Google, uh, go to... um, uchicago.edu slash UCSC or just Google um, University of Chicago uh, University Community Service Center um, and you see um, some of the work being done on campus there and um, yeah it just um, and I have more details about that soon it's going to be like kind of a big deal for 2019 but um, and and so we'll have more information there. Oh, I'm on, and yeah, I'm on Facebook too. If you want to just hear like random like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I really appreciate both of you. I appreciate both of you taking the time out. I know it's late. <laughs> got got things to do tomorrow morning, but spending the time to do this discussion, um, it really means a lot to me and to the people who are subscribed subscribed and are listening to this and taking all of this information in chris you are such a fountain of knowledge and i will forever be waiting underneath with my little glass trying to get as much of it as possible from you so (laughs) okay amen 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 I was just telling my students about you earlier today because we, we had a dinner uh-huh. dialogue. Uh, we, we do these things called dinner dialogues where we go out, where, where we meet with organizations in the community and we have discussion around the issues that they're trying to address, mm-hmm. what their missions are. Um, to kind of get an opportunity for like our students on campus to connect with like community members and leaders in the organization and things mm-hmm. of that nature and it was like what you are you coming i was like no i gotta do a podcast this evening and it was like it was like what are you doing a podcast i was like yeah man one of my friends uh she uh and she she, she putting together she uh she a teacher etc cetera, etc cetera. and i'm like she got this like teacher activism <laughs> thing going and uh, like trying to change the whole system through teaching. And I'm like, and they was like, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I like that. Cause both of them are, one is a senior. She's going to be a teacher okay. when she graduates. I mean, the other one, she was in my internship program. I, I had her interning with the Chicago public schools in their um, service learning um, civic, um, civic engagement space. And 
Um, and she was like, yes. And I was like, so I told him yes, I was going to share it with him. Do. I told him I was going to share it on <laughs> Facebook so they could check it out. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and yeah, so they're going to be looking for you. All right. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. Um, so let's finish this up. Uh, as always, you all can follow me on Twitter at Woke STEM Teacher and on Instagram at The Woke STEM Teacher. Take a second to hit subscribe if you aren't already subscribed. Rate the show. Send us a review. Um, I love to hear the feedback about the show and how much you all enjoy it. Um, and thanks for listening.